Okay, guys, we are in Lesson 15. We're in Chapter 5 of Ephesians. And we're going to try to get through this lesson today, but we may not, which is okay, because this is a very important section of verses. And we're in Ephesians 5. We're going to look at verses 15 through 21, and we're going to talk about the Spirit-filled life. Really what we're going to talk about is the Holy Spirit and His work and you allowing His work in your life. Now, I need to start off, first of all, by helping you to understand, because we're going to use some terms here today, like when we talk about the Spirit-filled life, there's a lot of misunderstanding or miscommunication, a lot of things that are being said that are just flat-out wrong as far as what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and so I'm going I'm to just lay a groundwork here for everybody to understand. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand what we're talking about here. First of all, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about a person. So you may want to write that down at the top of your notes. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. So he's God. So you might write that down. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. We're talking about a person. Now, he's a spirit. That's the third thing. He's a spirit. So it's not a physical body like Jesus. But he's a spirit. Now, why am I saying that? Well, because out there today, when you listen to some of the guys, especially on TV and in some circles... You, you almost get a concept that the Holy Spirit is something almost weird. So let me let me uh, let me just tell you some things that he's not. Okay. First of all, he's not a ghost. Now the reason why some people refer to them as that is because the King James, the translators of the time, translated the word spirit to mean ghost because that's what the word meant back then. But Obviously, between now, back in 1611, and now in 2011, 400 years later, our concept of ghost has changed, right? I mean, for those of you who are old enough, it's not Poltergeist, Steven Spielberg's Poltergeist movie, or whatever the young people are watching today. It's not that. The Holy Spirit is not some weird thing, all right? Here's the other thing I want you to understand about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a liquid. And what do you mean by that? Well, the way you hear people describe him about the filling, it's almost like the Holy Spirit is poured on you. I want you to remember, who is the Holy Spirit? He is a person. He is God. So any descriptions of describing him like some sort of liquid that's poured into you, that's not biblical. That's, that's crazy. Here's another one. The Holy Spirit is not a power source. It's like electricity. I mean, he empowers us. He strengthens us. But he's not a power source, like a source of electricity. So sometimes you'll see people, when you know, the Holy Spirit, quote, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they'll act like they're being shocked. That, he's not an electricity source. So I want you to understand, so when we're talking about the Spirit of God, and leading a spirit-filled life, 
we're not talking, we're talking about a person and we're talking about God. We're not talking about some of the weird things. Now, so here's what happens, especially in our circle of churches. We tend to de-emphasize the spirit-filled life because of fear. You may want to write that down. We tend to de-emphasize the spirit-filled life because of fear. So you'll, you'll notice we don't use terms like, are you filled with the Spirit? Because when we think in terms of that, are you filled with the Spirit, immediately in your mind, a lot of you here have a picture of something you saw on TV, or maybe you were in a church, and you saw some erratic behavior, and you're thinking, I don't want that for me. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want that. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Here's what I want you to understand. That is not a biblical view of what it means to be spirit-filled. So we're going to talk about the spirit-filled life today. So I want you to understand, who's the Holy Spirit, folks? He's a what? Person. What else is he? He's God. All right? He's not a liquid. He's not a power source. He's not a ghost. He's not weird. So... Let's talk about what it means to be, to be spirit-filled. So I want you to notice with me verse 15. Paul's going to start off this section about the spirit-filled life. He's going to talk about our walk first. So I want you to notice with me verse 15 as well as verse 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, Here's what I want you to see. He's going to talk about our walk here. Here's the proper manner of our walk. We are to live our lives carefully. When he talks about walking, he's really talking about living. So here he's talking about you and I are to live our lives circumspectly. Now, let me explain to you. What does that word circumspectly mean? Well, how many of you have cats? How many of you got cats? Raise your hands if you've got a cat. I, I know some of you hate cats, but... Uh, only one person here got a cat. Oh, somebody else admits it. Now, have you ever noticed, I, I, we have cats. Probably be the last time we'll have cats. But we have cats. Have you noticed how they walk? Have you noticed when they come in a room, especially if you have kids, there's all kinds of junk around. Have you noticed that they, it's almost weird. Like, they know where to step. Do you know what I'm saying? They're kind of stepping in different places to get where they're going. How I many you know what I'm talking about? That's called circumspectly. That cat, as it walks, is being careful about where it's putting its paws as it's walking through a room, especially in a room filled with a bunch of toys and junk. Now, George does not walk circumspectly. When I walk barefooted in my house, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, my foot is a Lego magnet. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? I find the Lego, ah, and, you know, get upset because, you know, my foot's almost cut open from some piece of Lego, you know. I don't walk circumspectly in my house, but the cat does. Now, what's all this, we're laughing at this, what's all this illustration about? 
This is how we're supposed to live our lives. You're to live your life carefully. Being aware, circumspectly means to be aware of what is around you. Not to have blinders on. Not to be naive. But you and I are to live our lives carefully. And and let's be honest, we have to today, don't we? You can't take anything for granted each day that you go through life. You've got to get up in the morning and you've got to ask God, help me to walk carefully today. Help me to be aware of what's going on around me. All right. Now here's the improper manner. Again, he's going to refer to it, we are not to live our lives as unbelievers. Because notice what he says there. I think it's very interesting. He uses the word not as fools but as wise. Now, usually what I do is, because I just went through the book of Proverbs, did a project through the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs, there's always a contrast between a fool and a wise person, a fool and a wise man. And a fool is someone who is not teachable. In fact, there are many Proverbs that will say about a fool, a wise man sees problems afar off and he changes his direction. A fool just keeps on going and suffers the consequences. This is the picture that that really I think that Paul's drawing from here is that you and I are to live our lives carefully because we're believers, we're aware, we should be even more aware now of what influences are in our lives. But we should not be like an unbeliever. We shouldn't live our lives like an unbeliever. You surely shouldn't live your life like a fool with someone who's wise because you're aware. So he's talking about our walk. Look at verse 16. He's going to talk about your time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So I I need to act a certain way in my lifestyle, but I also need to be a certain way with my time. So here's what he's saying. We are to make the most of the time that we have. Brad, how much time do you have? Well, how much do you have? How much time do you have in your life? Do you know? Tom, how much time do you have? Art, how much time do you have? Here's the thing. None of us here... None of us here, none of us here know how much time we have left. Do you understand? You're a day closer, a moment closer, a second closer to the end of your life in this world, period. Because you don't know what it is. We make assumptions, we have plans, we have dreams, but we don't know. And so sometimes we think we can put things off. So what Paul's trying to tell you is, is he's trying, again, drawing from the Scripture where, where the Scripture talks about our life is but a vapor. Our life is but like a flame that gets blown out. So you only have so much time and you don't know how much your time is. And so Paul's saying to you, okay, you're going to live carefully. You're not going to live like a fool, like an unbeliever. So redeem the time. Make the most of the time that you have right now. 
Make the most of it. And you know what, folks? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Here, 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 I know. I have never heard anybody on their deathbed wish they had more time in the office or at work. They all talk about family. I think of those of you know what you know what I'm talking about, right? Redeem the time. Redeem your time. Make it count. What really matters? Relationships with God, with each other, with family. That's what's most important. So redeem the time. Now, here's what else he says here. Why do we have to redeem the time that we have? We live in an evil time. The times are evil. Here's what Paul's saying. Because the days are evil. The days are evil, folks. We don't know. Can I, can I be honest with you? We, this really strikes at the heart of who we are as Americans. Let me just stop for a moment. Do you, do you, you guys don't really realize, unless you get out of this country and go somewhere else, how blessed you are to be an American. Because part of you being an American, you have an ingrown sense of security. Where, you know what, yeah, we face junk every day in our lives, don't we? But I'm going to be honest with you. It is nothing compared to what a lot of people around the world are facing. You know what I'm saying? So we've been protected from a lot, so you need to be thankful for that. And so here's what I want you to understand. We need to quit being so secure and recognize, I only have, I only have a short time, and the days are evil. I don't know what that means, so don't be shocked by stuff. In fact, here in a few weeks, we're going to remember the 10th year anniversary of the shock that we had, had didn't we? I mean, who would ever have thought? I mean, this is America. That stuff doesn't happen. This is the world. That stuff happens all the time. The reality is, is that you and I need to make the most of the time because the times are evil. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I got I I, you know, I've been a Christian now for 26 years, and in 26 years, I keep hearing people say the same thing over and over. Do you realize that 26 years ago, people were telling me back then, oh, things are getting really bad, can't get any worse, Jesus is coming back. 26 years later, things are a whole lot worse. The evil is not a sign of Jesus coming back. It's just a sign of our depravity. And we live in a depraved time. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Jesus is coming back. He's coming back when he decides. We just live in a depraved time. So make the most of your time. Do you understand what I'm saying? Make the most of your time. Here, here's what else. Look with me now, verse 17. Here's, okay, so, all right, so I'm supposed to live carefully. I'm supposed to make the most of my time. How do I do that? Well, Look at what verse 17 says. This is where we're going to spend a lot of our time. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Look at verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled 
with the Spirit. Okay, here's what I want you to see. First of all, he's telling us, how am I supposed to do this? Number one, I've got to be wise. What am I supposed to do? I'm not to be foolish. Don't be like unbelievers who have no understanding. That's what an unwise person is. An unwise person is an unbeliever who has no understanding. Remember, he's already told us that back in chapter 4, that we're not to walk like the Gentiles or like the unbelievers do in the what? The futility of their mind. You now, as a believer, have a new mind. You should have a new understanding that should be growing as you get into his word, as you read his word. Your understanding will grow. So what he's saying here is, is the way for me to walk circumspectly, to redeem the time, I've got to do what? I've got to be wise. I can't be living like the foolish and a foolish unbeliever who has no understanding. In fact, here's what I need to do. I need to understand what the will of the Lord is. I need to understand what God's will is for my life. I need to determine what it is that he wants me to do. Now, here, there are some things, you know what, people all the time, how many of you want to know what the will of God is for your life? I do. Okay? All of us do, right? All right, here's what I want you to understand. There are, very, there are certain instances in the Bible where, number one, God will come right out and tell you what the will of God is. Giving thanks is the will of God. You need to be a thankful person. Here's another one. Abstain from sexual immorality. Can't get any clearer than that. Because it just flat out says in that verse that you and I are, this is the will of God, that ye abstain from sexual immorality. Period. You want to know what God's will is? Be pure. Period. Sexually pure. Can't get any more harder than that. And so here's, here's what I want you to understand. How do I know what God's will is? Well, there's a key verse, remember, all the way back in Romans chapter 2, be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may, let me, let me read you exactly what it says here, that you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to know how to prove what, and know what the acceptable will of God is for your life? Right here in the Word of God. So I need to be wise. As I'm wise, I'm wise through His Word. I'm able to understand what the Word of God is. Now, here's the other thing He tells us then. It's not just that I'm wise, but I need to be filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 18. But don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now here, this is where this verse right here is where a lot of people go off on the deep end as far as what it means. You know, it means that you're going to be manifesting something. No, no, no. We need to look at what it says because actually verse 18 all the way to verse 21 is one sentence. You may want to write that down in your margin. Our Bible divides it up into several verses. But actually, verse 18 through verse 21 is one sentence. It's one sentence. It's one continually long sentence. So I want you to notice what he says here. First of all, if I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, here's what he's saying. Number one, we are not to be controlled by alcohol. 
Don't be drunk with wine. In fact, you could, you could put there anything. You could put drugs, sex, power. You're not to be controlled by anything. You want to write that down. Don't, don't be controlled by anything. Now, why is he, if he's going to talk about the filling of the Spirit, why does he have to start with a prohibition against drunkenness? Well, because there is a correlation between the two. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the issue? The issue is control. How many of you have been around an alcoholic? I have. Okay? Or somebody who is addicted to something. Maybe drugs or some other thing. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think in your mind about somebody who's struggling with an addiction. What controls them? The addiction. What do they think about? Their addiction. What motivates them? In fact, do they do things that they shouldn't do because of it? I mean, things you would have thought they never would have done. But they did it because of what? Their addiction. What's controlling them, folks? The addiction. Here's what I want you to understand. See, what you're talking about when you talk about with a drunk is, is he's motivated, captivated, activated by alcohol. A drug addict is motivated, captivated, activated by what? Drugs. A food addict is motivated, captivated, or, or activated by what? Cheeseburgers. You know, I mean, you just go on. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? You can be addicted to something, and that's what motivates you. You think about it. Do, do you see what I'm saying? That's addiction. That's control. So why the contrast? Because don't be controlled by alcohol, but rather, here, we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write this, at this, this sentence at the top of your page. The spirit-filled life is a spirit-controlled life. The spirit-filled life is a spirit-controlled life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, rather than be controlled by something else, the issue is, is that you are controlled by who? The Holy Spirit. Now, who's the Holy Spirit again, folks? He's God. He's a person. He's a spirit. He's not an electricity source. So, when it talks about being filled, he's not a liquid. You know, you know what I'm saying? You're talking about God controlling you. Allowing God to take control in your life. That's really what we're talking about here. If you want to write that down. Allowing God to take control in your life. Now let's stop for a moment because I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to make a delineation here. Because sometimes with different groups there will be a confusion. Okay, how many of you have heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Okay. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit enters into your life at salvation. Does everybody understand me? That's what it is. The Holy Spirit enters into your life at salvation. Alright? Here's what I want you to understand. According to the Bible, according to the Scripture, there is only one 
baptism. So every one of you here, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you were baptized into the Holy Spirit. One baptism. There are many fillings. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is one baptism. Every one of you, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit entered into your life. That is one time thing. Because He's your seal. Ephesians, we talked about that in Ephesians chapter 1. He's your guarantee, your seal, to the day of redemption when you go to be with Jesus. You want to know how you know for sure that you're saved? The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's your seal. He's your guarantee. Paul told us that in Ephesians chapter 1. I think it's verses 13 and 14. Now, when we talk about filling, though, what we're talking about is a spirit-filled life is what? A spirit-controlled life. There are many fillings because, let's be honest, are all of you perfect? Does every one of us here do something wrong? And when we do something wrong, we do what to the Holy Spirit? Grieve Him. Are we controlled by Him at that moment? No. Do you understand why we say there are many fillings? Do you understand? There are many fillings. So He's saying rather than be controlled by, rather than be controlled by alcohol or some other thing, be controlled by the Spirit of God in your life. Let me make it, in fact, let's just back up for a moment. That part, aspect of, of being controlled by alcohol. Do you understand this is the reason why the, the drinking is not prohibited in the Bible? Drunkenness is. Does everybody understand me? I know for some of you, you've heard for a long time some preacher tell you don't. Drinking is not prohibited. Drunkenness is. Now here's the problem. You don't know where the line is in your life. Okay? Because the issue why drunkenness is prohibited is because something's taking control of you. And what the Bible is prohibiting is you being controlled by something else. Do you understand? Because what the Bible is advocating is that you be controlled by who? The Holy Spirit, God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, there's one baptism. I got saved. I got baptized into the Spirit of God. There's many fillings where I allow the Spirit to have control in my life. All right? Now, let's talk about what the results of that filling are. Because here's the thing. When this filling happens, when the Spirit takes control in your life, I want you to notice what it says here. First of all, let me, when, I, when I tell you, I want you to notice what it says. Let me just go ahead and tell you what it's not going to say. Paul, as he talks about being filled, because I told you, verses 19 through 21 are all one sentence. These are the results of, when you look at the structure here, being filled with the Spirit results in something. So here's what I'm going to, I'm going to explain to you. When somebody emphasizes to you that the, of the filling of the Spirit must be manifested by tongues or something, that's not here. In fact, I would say that's the wrong thing to focus on. 
Because let's look at what it's saying here. Because if we're all spirit-controlled individuals, look at what it's saying, and we'll talk about what the benefit of it is. So look with me at verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So the first thing I want you to notice is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. We are to encourage one another. We will encourage one another. If you are filled with the Spirit, an aspect of the Spirit-controlled life is, is that you will then encourage other believers in the body of Christ. Now here it's with reference to the use of psalms or hymns, singing. In fact, Singing is often used in the Bible as you are to be encouraged. You understand what I'm saying? This is, okay, let me just stop for a This drives the philosophy of our music here at our church. We want you to come in church and hear music that's going to be what to you? Encouraging, because what's happened during the week? Yeah, somebody said blood over here. You've been beat up on. You know what I'm saying? The boss is putting the pressure on. He's being unrealistic or, or whatever. And so we're to, you know, if I'm spirit-controlled, the first thing you're going to see there is that you're going to encourage one another. And here's the other thing you're going to see if you're spirit-controlled. We will truly worship the Lord. Let me read to you back. Remember the discussion that Jesus had with the woman at the well in John chapter 4? Listen to this discussion. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Here's what Paul's saying. When I am controlled by the Spirit, in verse 19, I'm going to sing and make melody in my heart to who? The Lord. Here's what the Holy Spirit does, folks. The Holy Spirit, when He has control in our lives, drives us to worship who? God. That just happened to me the other day. Something really... It's almost unusual. Uh, I hate to use that word unusual because I told you he's not weird. So let me, let me just explain to you. I realized what was going on. I, we just had a blessing in our life. and um, So I'm riding down the road. And spontaneously out of me came, Thank you, Lord. Now that struck me because I didn't consciously think that. But immediately I realized, Lord, that's your spirit bringing me to praise you for what you've done. 
See, that's the spirit-controlled life. The spirit is going to cause you to what? Worship God. Now, let's stop for a moment, folks. I've got to remind you of something. Worship isn't just the song service at church. Does everybody understand me? Worship isn't just the song service at church. Worship is your heart attitude towards God. And when you are spirit-controlled, you're going to have what in your heart? Your heart's going to be overflowing with what? Love for Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when somebody tells me they've got a problem with worship, it's not what's going on around them, it's what's going on on the inside. That really is significant. So you need to start asking questions like, okay, well, if you're not worshiping, is God's spirit control in your, in, in your life? What's going on there? Okay? So we see that, that we'll truly worship the Lord. Now, let, let's go on now. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be a thankful people. Another aspect of it, I just kind of shared that with you. Another aspect of being controlled by the Spirit is, is you're going to be a thankful person. You're going to give thanks to God. You're going to recognize that God is the source of whatever in your life. You're even going to give thanks to Him in the bad times. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because He's in control. And then, verse 21, out of reverence to God, we will willingly serve each other. I want you to notice something. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. You're going to submit to one another in the fear of God. You're going to willingly serve each other. That comes out of a spirit-controlled life. Now, that's what the results are of a spirit-controlled life. That really is what the manifestation is. If you really want to know what the manifestation of the Spirit is as He controls your life, you're going to see several different things. Number one, you're going to be encouraging each other. You're going to be worshiping. You're going to be thankful. You're going to be serving. That's what a Spirit-controlled life is. This is what Paul's focused on here. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because what happens next in verses 22 all the way up to chapter 6, verse... Uh, 9, he's going to expand what verse 21 is. So he's going to give instructions to husbands and wives, parent and child, slave and master, and the only way to be able to do the things that he's telling you to do in those verses is that you are what? Spirit-controlled. The spirit-controlled life is what should be guiding you in these areas. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the spirit-controlled life is going to result in, number one, encouraging one another, worship of God, thankfulness, and what? Serving one another, submitting to one another. Okay, well, let's close our time in prayer then.